Are you an accredited investor looking for a new opportunity to generate passive income and build the retirement of your dreams? Then elevate your investment game with Viking Capital, where wealth meets wisdom. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting out, Viking Capital can help guide you towards financial freedom through passive real estate investing. With strong and transparent underwriting, Viking identifies low-risk opportunities with the goal of preserving investor capital and maximizing long-term growth potential. And their accessible and responsive investor relations team will help you understand how each investment will impact your unique financial goals. With $800 million in assets acquired, more than $230 million in equity raised, and more than 5,000 units under management, Viking Capital is your path to early retirement. To learn about Viking Capital's latest investment opportunity, which is available for you right now, visit go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best. That's go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best to get started today. Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, Promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Even sometimes when we've seen we really like the deal, maybe it's the sponsor's first time in a market. Double check, does that make sense? Or would it be better with a different operator? Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Hello, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Ash Patel, and I'm with today's guest, Anna Marie Lieb. Anna Marie is joining us from Portland, Oregon. She's the head of multi-housing at CrowdStreet, the largest online private equity real estate investing platform. Her team identifies and reviews potential multifamily, student housing, and build-to-rent offerings. In 2021, CrowdStreet funded $700 million, and in year-to-date 2022, they have funded $600 million in various asset classes. Anna-Marie, thank you so much for joining us, and how are you today? Doing great, Ash. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast today. It's our pleasure. Anna-Marie, before we get started, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Definitely. So I've been in the, the commercial real estate industry, probably dating back to call it 2006, 2007. Went right into that after graduating from the Wharton School, where I did my undergraduate degree and had a focus on real estate finance. 
Started off on investment sales with CBRE out of their Boston office, spent a few years there, and then moved into working with PNC where I and wrote low-income housing tax credit and historic tax credit projects that were syndicated out to large groups across the country. So kind of got that taste of how institutions underwrote deals. So a little bit of the bureaucracy that you kind of have to deal with to get deals done. From there, spent a few years outside of the real estate world working for a family business. We had a winery, which probably could be a whole different podcast talking through that. And then most recently for the past six years, I've been working with CrowdStreet. And again, we bring institutional quality real estate to accredited investors. We look at assets across the country, across asset classes. My team, we oversee and kind of underwrite and help structure deals that are multifamily, built to rent, student housing, senior housing. And again, this is across geographies and across risk profiles. So we'll do acquisitions, developments, recapitalizations. So we see a lot of deals flow. <laughs> Already, I have a lot of questions, but I know the question that the best ever listeners are going to want me to ask, why did you not stay with the family business and help the winery out? I think the winery is definitely a tough business. I think I, I learned a lot there. At the time when I was working at it, we started small, producing about 250 cases. We're expanding. I think we got up to about over 2,000 cases while I was there. And if you think about wine and kind of the working capital goes into it, right? You're building a product and then it takes about three years until you're actually seeing some profits from it due to the growing the grape, processing the grapes, putting it in bottles, letting it age before it goes out to market. So that had its challenges and then also kind of working with family and having those tough conversations can be difficult. So it's a little bit family overwork, but in the end ended well. And overall, it was a great experience and, and learned a lot, but realized that my passion probably really wasn't in real estate instead of winemaking. And you went to one of the best undergrad business schools out there and you had a focus on real estate. So you are in the real estate industry. Back to CrowdStreet. I got to tell you, just from a layman's perspective, we see CrowdStreet as this big institutional heavyweight out there. What kind of clientele is CrowdStreet accessible to, both in terms of investors and operators? Yeah, so on the investor side, we cater to accredited investors. So those are investors who earn over 200000 annually or $1 million net worth, $2 million if it's a joint count. Currently have about 18,000 active investors and about 153,000 registered accredited investors. And I think the, the profiles of those looked like people who are, are new to commercial real estate. They may be making their first investment ever in commercial real estate, trying to diversify their portfolio by adding this alternative asset class in there. We've got a lot of doctors, people in the tech field, lawyers. And then we also have very sophisticated commercial real estate investors that come to the platform and invest who have amassed large portfolios to even sponsors who invest in other deals through the platform as well. Our average investor currently has, call it more than one investment. I think seven is about the average in, in an investor's portfolio on CrowdStreet. Close to 70% of our investors are repeat investors at this point in time. And the average portfolio that they have on the platform is getting close to 400000 but I will say the minimum check size to get into a deal is 25000 So it's, it is accessible and gives investors that ability to diversify their portfolio and get into more than one deal instead of potentially running their commercial real estate deal on the side outside of their business. In terms of sponsorship, we have a range. On CrowdStreet, we kind of give designations to sponsors that we work with. So we have four designations. We have emerging, seasoned, tenured, and enterprise. 
The emerging category, we are very selective there. That's typically a sponsor that has a track record of less than $100 million and has not been around for, for five years. And I'd say these days, probably that emerging sponsor is looking like someone who probably has spun off from a larger group that has kind of a track record there, but has started a new entity. Seasoned, again, that's about 100 to $250 million of track record. We're selective in that group as well doing doing less deals. And I think the majority of the deals that you're going to see in our marketplace today is in that tenured and enterprise category. So tenured, that's the 500 million to 5 billion AUM. Enterprise is 5 billion more. And I think why we've trended that way is, you know, the volatile environment we're in right now. We're going into probably a recession. We've been in kind of an expansionary cycle for over 10 years now. So really to... Get us comfortable. We really want to be working with those sponsors who have been around the block and have been through those hard times and, and have navigated those previously. Thank you, Anna Marie. To be clear, the minimum in terms of being an operator is having done about $100 million in total deals. Yes, that is correct. And let's dive into the asset classes. Obviously, multifamily, student housing, build to rent. And what are the other ones that you do? So that's kind of where, where my team focuses across CrowdStreet. We're also obviously looking at office deals, industrial, self-storage, mixed-use developments, retail. So really, we, we cover most asset classes. We even recently, we're looking at an, an RV and self-storage deal, boat storage deal. We've done mobile home parks. I think the only asset classes that we strictly stay away from are condo developments, so for sale condos and land sales, just because we think that the risk there is quite high compared to some of the other asset classes and not necessarily suitable to retail investors. A question, because I mostly invest in office industrial retail, is it still $100 million in historic deal flow? Yes. Okay. I'm going to push back a little bit because... There's plenty of 30, 40, $50 million apartment communities throughout the U.S. There's not that many 30, 40, $50 million strip malls in the yeah. U.S. So I would ask you to reconsider that because a lot of strip malls, even your class A Whole Foods anchored strip mall could be in the 10, $15 million range, right? Yeah, I think we're again just looking for that track record and making sure that we've seen that execution occur so that you know, maybe they've done 10 of those strip malls to get to that 100 AUM of, of historical track record. And I wouldn't say it necessarily has to be under management today, but if you look at since inception, how many deals have they invested in and executed their business plans on? And I think especially because if you look at, at CrowdStreet, I think the one thing that sets us apart with equity compared to maybe some institutional investors that invest into deals is that it's passive. So our investors truly are relying on the sponsors to execute the business plan, make correct decisions, and, and really are empowering them to run the deal and be great stewards of their capital. And so I think that's why it's so important to make sure that that track record is in place because we're not having any voting rights to say investors are going to vote and say, hey, we want to sell now. That, that power sits with the sponsor. Do you know what ratio your underwriting team approves versus denies? So if we look through the history of CrowdStreet, so there's two buckets. We have a capital markets team that's kind of our boots on the ground spread across the country who are out there sourcing deal flow. Along with that, they also get inbound leads from sponsors looking to come on our platform. They are doing that first scrub to 
weave through deals and see what they don't think makes a fit for the marketplace. Once they find deals that they think have a chance, that's when the investments team and, and my team comes in and starts underwriting deals. What we see, typically we're averaging, call it 25 to 30% of the deals that we look at and kind of dig into and get to know the sponsor that we will approve for the marketplace that will we'll go up and show to investors. Got it. And you also mentioned you recapitalize deals. Yes. So explain to me a scenario in which you would recapitalize a deal, please. A recent deal we looked at, a sponsor brought us a deal, so an owner-operator, it was a multifamily deal. They had invested with an institutional investor who had a fund, and that fund life was coming from an end. So they needed to get out of the deal. The sponsor still felt strongly that this was still value in this property, that they still thought there was room to push rents and, and get more juice before they wanted to exit the deal, so they wanted to stay with it. So they brought the deal to Crowd Street. We took a look at it, got a sense of where we thought the market value was, and came to a price that made sense for us to bring investors in and, and take out that other equity. So the owner-operator could still have the deal, but they could make those investors happy and then bring in fresh capital. So this one, there's a little bit more capital improvements that they wanted to do to the assets. We helped fund that and then also kind of take out that equity that needed to get out due to the their fund coming to end of term and needing to liquidate assets. All right. So if I'm a sponsor and I meet your $100 million metric, I'm ready to get on the crowd street. I go through, I would imagine, a very extensive deal flow check, background check, and all of the, uh, very yeah. extensive. Yeah. Now, I've already got the track record. I've already raised money for other deals. Why do I come to CrowdStreet? I think a lot of sponsors, A, pay, you can never have enough sources of capital to go to. You may have a group of investors, if you're raising from friends and family currently, that are funding your deals, but maybe you want to move to do more deals, you need more capital, or... Maybe you're working with institutional investors and you, as I mentioned, passive equity versus equity that has control is different. So I think we've shown that we can raise capital efficiently and raise substantial amounts. I think through 2022 here, we've averaged about $10 million per raise on the marketplace. Our largest raise to date is about $35 million funded through close to 700 investors. So we can bring large chunks of equity to the table. It's passive. And the process is fairly quick. So you'll go through our vetting process. We approve you for the marketplace. We'll help you set up your online page that has all the information on the deal, the metrics, property, whatnot. We'll announce the deal to our investor base. So it'll be going out to 150,000 potential investors. And then the sponsor's going to host a webinar where they get on, all those investors attend to listen to the kind of the pitch of the deal. There's a Q&A and then the deal opens for offerings. So instead of having to pick up the phone and call investors or set up in-person meetings, we've really made the process very efficient of raising capital through individual high net worth investors. Investors will go through the portal. They will fill out their paperwork and submit their offers. And we've seen deals that have raised in minutes $20 million. And I'd say typically from when the deal opens for offers to getting those funds, it's about two to three weeks to get that circled in it. So it can be pretty efficient. We'll get back to the show with the first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Are you a real estate investor looking to break into the multifamily investing space? Have you heard of MFIN Con happening in Charlotte, North Carolina, June 12th through the 14th? The Multifamily Investor Nation Convention is a place to learn from over 60 high-level apartment investors while networking with more than 700 additional investors. If that's not enough for you, 
A-Rod, yep, Alex Rodriguez, 12-time Major League Baseball All-Star with over $700 million of commercial real estate assets, will be live and in person speaking at the event. Also speaking is the one and only Dr. Robert Cialdini, the godfather of influence and the award-winning author. I personally love his books. So be sure to secure your tickets to this live in-person event before they're gone. Go to MFINCon.com for more details. Sponsorship opportunities are also available. Visit MFINCON.com today. Use the promo code BESTEVER to get $200 off your tickets. That's MFINCON.com. Anna Marie, what is the range of hold times as well as returns? Sure. So I think it varies dramatically. Typically, the shortest holds that you're going to see on the marketplace that we target is three-year-old on merchant field developments. I'll say typically we've seen historically those are exiting a bit sooner. Probably average hold across the marketplace is five years, but we also go up as far as 10 years. I think specifically now, a lot of those deals are the opportunity zone deals that offer great tax benefits to investors where they can divert capital gains to the best that is held for 10 years. And then returns, again, they range depending on asset class and risk profile. I think four, four plus deals, probably in that 10 to 12 IRR return range more opportunistic or development deals, you're probably looking at north of a 20 IRR, the shorter term hold. So it definitely varies across the marketplace. What are tips to get my deal filled up the fastest? I think investors obviously are pulling back a little bit, just given kind of the volatility and, and the shifts we've seen with increasing interest rates and the overall changes in the economy that we're going through. So I think a, there has to be some sort of why this deal, why now? Why should I invest today versus six months from now? And I think what we've seen is deals that have a great kind of discount story. So if we can say, hey, this deal was valued at X at the peak in 2020, but we were able to secure this deal at 10, 15, 20% discount to that pricing and show that that basis feels good today. I think that's always a way to get investors interested in the deal. I think the other area that investors really pay attention to is structure and making sure that those incentives are aligned between the owner operator and investors. So, right, they're looking at things like co-invest. I'd say on average, the co-invest for the sponsor, what they're investing into the deal alongside investors is 10%. So if you're above that 10% threshold, investors are going to look really favorably on that. Interesting. Um, Okay. Other areas are fees. Investors pay very attention to fees that sponsors are taking. So acquisition fees. And do you highlight those fees or are they buried in PPMs? Our offering pages. If you go to the CrowdStreet website, you can click into the offerings and all the deals that are on the marketplace are up there and it'll list out, this is the acquisition fee, this is the disposition fee, development fee, co-invest, all those stats are, are on there. And so, especially when you're a sponsor, right, you have to consider, okay, I'm not just showing one deal to investors. Investors are going to see my deal and they're going to see the other deals that are up on the marketplace and then they're going to compare and kind of shop around and see what makes sense to them. And then obviously the waterfall structure. So your preferred returns that you're offering investors, your promote splits, I think all, all that matters and can make a difference if you want to give them an outsized preferred return. That's something that investors are going to look at. Anna Marie, you guys do an extensive background search on both the individual, the teams, and the historic deals. Me as an investor, do I get to see any of that? We don't provide the background checks, but we do typically, if there is something that we found, if there has been, right, well, we'll post the track records on the detail page and that'll list the returns and what the sponsor's done. And if there has been any previous bankruptcy or anything, 
that we've gotten comfortable with. Typically, we'll put up a disclosure for investors so they can see what occurred. And then again, we're, we're going to put up the designation so investors also get a sense of their designated enterprise, seasoned, emerging, tenured on there. And, you know, I think the other part is, is that investors get access to the sponsor too and can ask their own Q&A again during the webinar. There's a questions box on the detail page where investors can type in a question that will go to the sponsor and get responses on a deal before they invest. We try to provide that transparency for investors. At any one time, how many open deals do you have? Definitely ranges. I think right now, I think we're being more selective. I think just A, deals that make sense are a little bit harder to come by, just given where debt's falling, it's harder to circle debt. So understanding feels like we're coming out of the peak of market and, and prices are kind of contracting. So again, finding those discount stories that we're looking for that I mentioned earlier is, is getting harder. So we're targeting right now launching approximately two deals a week. I think historically during a more normal environment, we're probably three to four. So we've definitely pulled back and I think kind of raised that quality bar just given the, the current macro environment that we're in. But so I'd say anyway, again, two to two to four deals a week, depending on. All right. If I am an operator, I'm a syndicator. How much is this costing me? This sounds expensive. So we charge a per investor room fee. So when an investor comes into the marketplace, they make an investment. CrowdStreet becomes the investor's portal, kind of like their E-Trade account, where they can go and check out how their whole real estate portfolio is going, log in, see kind of all their quarterly reports in one place for all their deals. So we set up an investor room for each of those investors. And so that's what we charge by. It doesn't matter if an investor invests, call it 25000 or a million. It's going to be the same price for that investor. Typically what that works out to is about, call it a 3% cost of capital. And then there's an ongoing kind of fee associated with upkeep of those rooms going forward. What about the syndicator? What do I have to pay to get my deal on CrowdStreet? That's basically the fee that I just described there. there 3%. About about 3% of... Okay. And as an investor, does it cost me anything? No, we do not charge... Okay. And you mentioned we're heading into a recession. And I'm sure you've seen, it's only people in the real estate industry and in the finance industry that think any economic headwinds are temporary. Next year, we'll be fine. Next year, the market will be back up. Interest rates will be down. So again, thank you for being forthcoming with that. And there's definitely some economic headwinds that we're seeing. And how this relates to your potential investors, are you seeing that start to dry up number of people investing on CrowdStreet? There's definitely been a pullback on that, like I said, or not pullback, but I think it's been probably flat. So if we look at what we did in 2022, which is, you know, banner year or 2021 banner year, I think great commercial real estate industry, you know, rent growth was great. A lot of investment happening. CrowdStreet ended up with about 1.2 billion funded on the platform. Fast forward to where we are today. We're looking to be closely in line with that. So I think we were projecting continued growth into this year. I think definitely that's pulled back. And I think we saw that happen kind of in the last six months. But that being said, I think investors are still investing. I think they're just being more selective and and picking the deals that make sense. I think, again, as I mentioned, we're launching less deals, but we've had some of our largest raises happen in in the last six months that that have gone well. So I think it's picking those right deals that have that story of the why now. 
what makes this deal stand out. And I think what we're seeing is a bit of that distress is kind of what investors are leaning towards. And then I think the other area is we've seen opportunity zones who do very well in the marketplace as well. And I think that's just due to the, the tax benefits and investors having capital gains to place. Do you have Q4 year over year numbers? Not wrapped up yet, but like I said, I think it's we're trending probably to ending up at about a billion invested this year. So kind of okay. Ready. Awesome. And do you invest in these deals as well? I do. I'm an investor in Marketplace. That's kind of where I do my real estate investing. I'm not managing any properties on, on the side. So I kind of get my exposure to the asset class through the Marketplace, along with many other people on the, the investments team as well. One thing I will say, we do not get any preferential treatment <laughs> in terms of getting into deals. So we have to submit our offers just like anybody else. And there's definitely been a few deals where I haven't gotten in, even though I wanted to, due to demands. And returns for office industrial retail, are they typically higher? It depends on the risk profiles of the deals. I think retail, typically what we've seen or or what we've posted to investors have been more of kind of the core, core plus with cash flow. So your overall return probably is lower than what we'll typically see on multifamily because I think we do a lot of value add development on that side more so than than core holistically. So it definitely varies. I think right now, in terms of the office deals we're seeing, definitely more on the opportunistic side with higher return over the last six months than than probably historically, just given what's happening with with the office market right now. Anna-Marie, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? I think my best advice is sponsorship. I think especially when you are making passive LP investment, you cannot underscore the importance of sponsorship. I think you need to understand the sponsor's track record. I think you also need to understand how they manage investors. What is their capacity, especially for high networks, to take those on and then handle reporting and be communicative. I think especially through COVID and somewhat this year as well, we've seen that some of those larger sponsors with strong track records have just been able to navigate some of those challenges better than some of the emerging sponsors, A, just due to the more extensive networks, banking relationships, deeper balance sheets that can help solve some of those problems that come up. So even sometimes when we've seen, we really like the deal, maybe it's the sponsor's first time in a market double check, does that make sense? Or would it be better with a different operator? So I think that's my advice, that the sponsorship plays such a huge role in, in executing business plans and in making those decisions that you really have to do the deep dive there. Yeah. Sponsorship, as well as the deal, a lot of people that I interview, they say the most important thing is the sponsor, is their track record. We've gotten burned on deals where we love the sponsors so much that we would have blindly put money into their deals. And we did. And we didn't vet the deal enough and things got bad, right? So yes, thank you for that advice, the sponsor, and don't forget the deal as well. Anne-Marie, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. (laughs) All right, Anne-Marie, what's the best ever book you recently read? The best book I recently read was The Golden Spruce by John Valiant. It was a great book that dives into the blogging industry and the rainforest up in British Columbia and kind of on the West Coast and its impact on culture and, and, and the world we live in now. What is the best ever way you like to give back? I love giving back by giving my time. I'm part of the WLI mentorship committee here in Portland. So I think that's so important, especially for women in the industry. What is and WLI? Sorry. Women Leadership Initiative. It's kind of a women-focused group 
So we put on networking events for younger women in the industry. And then also, I think just making time to take those phone calls and, and meet up for coffee with people who are new in the industry and working their way up and providing advice from what we know and sharing that knowledge. And Anna-Marie, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? You can find me on LinkedIn, Anna-Marie Lander-Lieb, and then the CrowdStreet website, www.crowdstreet.com. It's where you can find all the deals. You can find information on the team and check us out. Anna-Marie, thank you very much for your time today, giving us the ins and outs of CrowdStreet. A lot of valuable information that I didn't know. So thank you for your time today. Yeah, thank you, Ash. I appreciate it so much. This was great. Best ever listeners, thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review. Share this podcast with someone you think can benefit from it. Also, follow, subscribe, and have a best ever day. Hi, best ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content? Well, if so... Join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.